first describe the band for me? I mean, I, I know about them, but it's yeah. just for people listening. The, the band is called Brandbrauer Frick. That's yeah. our three surnames. And uh, we met in 2008 and started this project pretty much right after meeting. And yeah, we are really influenced by club music, but we use a lot of acoustic or classical instruments. And uh, those guys come... Well, they've also played like classical instruments from child on, but they they are not com studied composers or so. But they also had a lot to do with jazz, and we kind of had su uh, such a good chemistry in the studio that we decided we become a band. And since then, we were pretty lucky that we somehow touched a nerve of... By now, we are living, uh, making a living with that. Not a really good one, but it somehow works. And Even with 90 gigs a year, you're not making a good... Uh no it's more like we're surviving okay yeah, yeah. so it's basically everybody it's <laughs> yeah. Big, yeah 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 no but uh, for me it was uh, you know of course uh, you know how it is to be a composer you really we are a bit like dictators and can want to you know define any angle of a piece or ourselves and i was always really into that but somehow working with uh, daniel and jan gave me a really new experience even though I was in many bands before but I was always somehow unhappy with it you know but working with two other people and in fact we composed together of course somehow but they aren't that, classically trained musicians are they they are well they are not but I mean they can read notes and stuff and for example Daniel he also they both played pianos from piano from child on And Daniel also played like classical percussion in some youth orchestra, stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, working with other people brings this element of surprise somehow. Since I work with them, I had more and more the feeling that the results are better than when I do it on my own. It took me actually some time to really be fine with that. And I think it will also change. By now, I'm I'm slowly eager again to compose on my own. But still, like to make the music I make with those two, I know I couldn't do it on my own. Why mm. did it take you time for you to be okay with the fact that you were removing your ego from it? Yeah, maybe just because I was so used to create create stuff on my own. And um, I mean, when I got into elect electronic music and I discovered I can, and before I also produced more things in a hip hop direction. And when I I had my first computer, d discovered I can actually record and make music on my own and get a sonic result straight ahead you know that was such an important experience for me and I, I got so addicted of it to create everything on my own and I've done that for several years so I just had to get used to I mean I didn't really have to get used again but after several intents of composing on my own being already in that band I was always somehow a bit underwhelmed Because um, I didn't have that element of surprise and unpredictability yeah. coming from the others. What were you like? Because it was always interesting that when I first got here, you really, your style kind of really stuck out as very beat oriented, influenced by club music, using references from other styles almost in a postmodern way. When did you discover that? Or that's what you wanted to do. And there's something also about that that kind of flows very easily into uh, the band. That started really early. I started to have composition classes when I was 12. Because the years before I was playing the piano a lot and trying to compose. And my piano teacher told my 
parents, look, why don't you get a teacher for him? And I really wanted that. And right in the summer before starting these uh, classes with a great teacher who was a student at UDK at that time, uh, Ilion Sang, in that summer before I got totally into like, it was 91, so into Nirvana and Guns N' Roses and music like that. And I got like really into it and I started to learn the guitar and Wait, so on. That and was 1991? One? How old were you? I'm um, 33. No, no, no. How old were you? I, so was, I, guess 12. I, could, okay, I was 12. Okay, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. And uh, and actually, I remember that even before going to that class for the first time, I thought like, oh, damn, I would have wanted to do that before, but now I'm into something completely different. I'm not sure whether I even want this, you know. I was somehow suddenly disinterested in classical music and even modern music. So, um, But I had this teacher who was really open and luckily also played the guitar, but he played classical guitar, but who knew a lot of uh, pop and rock music and jazz. So he told me more like, okay, yeah, well, you can compose whatever, but write it down, write the notes, you need to learn all the technique and so on. Um, so right in the beginning of starting with like having composition classes, I already had this contradiction a bit. And there were times when I was an ad adolescent that I re really also tried to copy like let's say typical new music notation i was uh yeah experimenting with uh quarter uh, sixth eighth tones all that stuff i was copying all the fashionable nice looking notations from composers that people from scores that people showed me i was always surrounded by many many friends who listened to more pop music or whatever i mean i'm saying pop music pop music can mean Heavy metal, hip hop, uh, techno, yeah, yeah, actual pop, rock, all of that. That's not new music. Plus, I w always was somebody who was making rhythms, like sitting alone in the metro. I just couldn't. I was a bit unable to do music without all the pulse aspect. Yeah, and so really from pretty early on, I decided, well, I try to do that, but in a way that seems interesting to me. And I also got aware pretty early that. Most academic uh, composers, let's say after 45 or in the vein, okay, except let's say American minimal music, uh, but all this European tradition a bit rejecting pulse and rejecting, yeah, I mean, I'm speaking about pulse, uh, basically. I discovered that when some of these somehow tried it, they also couldn't really do it really well. I mean, then it seemed like kind of a bit simple to me. And I was always into um, complex rhythms. I listened to like complex Scandinavian death metal, like Meshuggah or so. The first. Okay, I know Meshuggah. Yeah, 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 you know yeah, them? yeah, yeah. For example, when I came, uh, um, entered the UDK, University of Arts, and started to study with Friedrich Goldmann, he told me, okay, next uh, Wednesday, when all the composers meet, Show us what you're into and uh, what you are working with. It's always a frightening moment. Yeah, frightening it? moment. Especially if you know <laughs> you're going to bring in something that, yeah. like, yeah. Yeah, totally. But, um, and then I know, I remember I had made, um, uh, rhythmical tr transcriptions, written down the notes of some Meshuggah pieces, which was an insane amount of work. Really, I had to listen over and over again. Uh, and I d showed the people how I had transcribed the rhythms and, so on. So that was the first thing I ever presented at university. I want to go back for a second. You said that when you first started studying composition at the age of 12, also when you were getting into Guns N' Roses and Nirvana and everything, and you said to yourself, it's 
already too late for me. Like I've dedicated myself to this composition world. Like no, it wasn't like this. But I had suddenly became such a fan of this music, and I think like puberty had begun, you know. And and suddenly I was a bit like, oh, composition classes. That's a bit. I don't know if I still want to do that, you know. Why didn't you stop and and go basically, and go right for the band? Yeah, basically because. I, You know, my father had organized this for me and I was he was really cool about it and I was also thankful and I just thought, okay, I need to check it out, you know, because it was already decided some months ago that he had arranged it. It was actually really nice of my father that he found this composition teacher for me, like asking contacts, people that he knew. You know, we didn't know any composers also. We also don't, at least here in Berlin, we didn't have like music uh, members of the family who were... Uh, musicians and somehow this teacher because also i really liked him and uh, he could play guitar so somehow i got that made me stick to him and i stayed with him like un yeah until i started to study at udk did that feeling of i'm not sure if this is what i really want to do ever completely go away when it came to notating music because right because right now you're not doing it so much anymore and you're in a You're in a band, which is like kind of like the question you asked yourself when you were getting into uh, Nirvana, you know, when you were younger. <laughs> And I'm wondering if that ever went away or if you ever question if um, like dots on a piece of paper and then, you know, giving it to people for to interpret is the right way for you to be making, mm -hmm. you to be making stuff. I always had a little doubt in my head, but there were many years, especially when I was studying composition, that I really believed in that. I'm really happy I did it. Actually, I'm. I think um, writing scores is good for some kinds of music and worse for others. It's a totally good thing. But I mean, with uh, the technology we have today, when you, with let's say sequencer programs or all that, I mean, we work mainly with Ableton. Using Ableton and then writing a score, I feel a bit okay. Writing a score is the most limited thing on earth. But but in between, there were also years when I didn't doubt scores at all and i want to go on composing things i just felt i well i confess that this whole band thing has given me a totally new perspective when i will compose again it will be something very different i know that because when i listen to my old music i like some things but i know that you know i couldn't do the same again even if i wanted to i couldn't maybe i lost some illusions also i don't know so you've always had this tendency towards using the beat and pulse-oriented stuff, whether it would be in the band or in your, the music you were composing. Uh, yes, I tried uh, other pieces also without that, but they were just not good. What do you mean not good? <laughs> they were, I discovered it's, it's not me, and also comparing, or even like my teacher, even Goldman said, well, you know, this is actually a bit boring compared to <laughs> other stuff you do. Yeah, yeah. So I'm wondering if... Do you come up with a reason besides I'd like it for a reason for using it? Did you feel like you had to come up with an aesthetic justification for using a pulse mm -hmm. and a beat other than the mere notion that it, you know, it yes, hits your brain in a certain way? I guess somehow, even though I always tried not to want to justify this, I was trying to do this for years and years. You know, imagine the situation at, you know, it at conservatory that's here what, in Berlin. That's exactly what I'm imagining you know, so in my head. Aut automatically, you know, I started to, you know, build all these thoughts around it, which was good for me. I'm actually really thankful for it. I think confrontation is can um, help me also in a way. 
I was at least always aware that I didn't find, I didn't want to find out what music is for, because I think in that moment I would kind of stand still. I didn't found like one closed system of thoughts. Yes, of course, I've tried to open up in several directions. Yeah, actually several years and also the piece I gave you, Camouflage 2, was yeah. a bit in that phase. There I had a bit this main focus which interested me a lot, which were like cuts in music. Cuts between really different kind types of material. I was at the time I was listening a lot to Mr. Bungle, for example. You yeah, know that band? yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and probably John Zorn or something like course, that. Of course, John yeah. Zorn. There yeah. was like ma like two main references. I, I really liked that, but I somehow felt... And I liked also this shocking element of sudden breaks or cuts. What's the best word to say that in English? Yeah, you, and that's fine. Cuts, yeah. yeah. And so I tried a bit to um, explore the different nuances and grades of cuts. For example, starting from you have one tone, then you can actually say, okay, now any other tone could follow, you know? Even the second tone, I mean, it's two elements. I put them together. You could already think it's random, but of course it's not because that's uh, the most normal thing to do in any musical tradition in the world. But, you know, it, it all starts gradually. That's already the first step and from this step of putting two notes together on an instrument to cutting together two totally different types of music you know it all happens gradually i never s thought of it as being two completely different things but i thought of it as being two things on a scale somehow i didn't um, draw direct conclusions out of this i was more i was working a lot with cutting really different things together Yeah, the first thing was at that time I was kind of focusing more on the the moments that are created when you cut something together. That was a bit the focus, even neglecting a bit what was happening in between. But I always had a double strategy. Even working with cuts, I was still constructing a lot with symmetries and all that stuff you learn in composition classes. I, you know, it was always... The I, I guess I guess yeah. this whole context of academic context made me want to be safe and do it right in any aspect. You know that even if somebody would say, "Okay, but this is complete rubbish," explain it to me. I can could still tell him, "Yeah, look, but there's the symmetry x uh, of this tone and all the others harmo so, harmonies." So okay, are somehow, I understand what you mean you know? by safe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's uh, people. You know, people might reject the surface of the music and say, yeah. "Oh, this is not what it's supposed to sound like because mm -hmm. you're in a conservatory." Blah 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 blah. Yeah. And you can exactly. say, "Oh, actually, Which yeah, yeah, a lot, yeah, yeah, yeah." Actually, and you can. Uh, you said that happened a lot. Yeah. 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 Of course. And, and actually, your way of defending that was not to defend the surface itself. But to say, actually, there's a lot of kind of deep mathematical poetry going on. If you look at the if you look at the score with symmetries and uh, harmonies that mimic one another, mm. and yeah, exactly. it still has structural yeah. integrity. Exactly, and, and that was your way of justifying. Totally. I also um, um, could you have done it without that? Like, if um, you didn't, no, have, I don't if, think if, so. If you, I don't. I don't think if, so. If I you, couldn't have done without it because it's also me. It's the way I think, and I, I am also really fascinated, of course, by mathematics and and symmetries and had one of my teachers Hartmut Flat he several times he said uh, you know any great composition has a lot of over information so I always thought you know when you can discover so many things in a piece 
with further listen oh, like then, it, then it's in, great in, always, in depth not yeah, like yeah not like yeah. the complexity idea of uh, yeah, too not, much not at all not at all but uh you know somehow over information information that's not maybe needed for the first impression somehow yeah of the music on the other hand you can also say without these construction mechanisms maybe the music wouldn't have been there so it's good does your band do that You said um, you said well we improvise we put it around it's just such a collective thing and that type yeah but that, still the music's pretty constructed and we are in a way it's also quite similar because I mean we in the band we work a lot with like polyrhythmical aspects and try around okay what other different lengths of loops can run against each other and so on so it's you know it's a mixture and. Um, It's, it's certainly less constructed that, than what I did on my own. That also, I guess this is why also our band's music is more accessible for more people. But in the end, I would, one thing I, I also never did when composing on my own was letting the construction mechanisms do something without me feeling it totally, you know? You mean intuitively? Yeah, intuitively. Like, so yeah. if I would use it also to let's see what this gives me, and if I wasn't overwhelmed by it, or if I, you know, then I wouldn't use it. Always this these automatisms going on in a lot of new music compositions. That was something I wasn't even against it, but I knew it's not mine. You know, it's it's not something I can do. What do you mean automated you, you know, automated uh, rhythms like uh, uh, like a process that plays itself out perfectly? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Piece. Like uh, finding um, this or that uh, uh, algorithm and giving you your harmonic system and so on. That doesn't mean that I think that there hasn't been great compositions done like that, of course. But it was personally, in my personal work, I was always skeptical about that. It was somehow, I somehow rejected it intuitively. Why do you think you re rejected that intuitively? Yeah, because I guess because I believed in individuality. <laughs> I don't yeah. know, maybe. Yeah, but the idea of a singular mind coming up with a perfect system or algorithm that can somehow dictate the sound of a piece consistently, that's kind of... I, I almost think that that was like the individualistic thing. Yeah? Yeah. I never saw it like that. Yeah. I thought, okay, because I also saw other like fellow composers working with it and it seemed pretty random to me. Because I think that anybody can just create some formula and let it write some stuff for you. You just need to figure it out a bit. I mean, that doesn't... I'm talking about also individual expression of feelings. I mean, emotional expression. I mean, emotional expression is kind of pretty um, almost stigmatized for some composers. For me, it was always very important. Did you ever get any shit from people for like going in that direction or... They almost felt like this isn't what we do at a conservatory. From some people, yes, but um, in general, I was I was pretty lucky. I think. I mean, my main professor Goldman, I really owe him a lot because even when a lot of times he couldn't really also like so much what I did, he encouraged me, and in the end, he also liked some things I did. But that's hard anyway. I mean, when I was twenty-two or so, I tried to do an exchange to some foreign country I wanted to go to France for example and I tried in Lyon and Paris and I also tried in Helsinki and no composition teacher there would accept me really yeah why 
well, whatever, because I, th I guess they thought, oh, 4-4 uh, measure, how cute, whatever, you know? And um, Isn't it weird, though, that they, like, they see something that is visually simple? Mm -hmm. Like I mean, like which you also look my at scores score. often often were not, but some yes, some yeah, yes. yeah, or something that's visually and sonically simple, and then they automatically assume that it lacks kind of an internal sophistication, and then they mm -hmm. reject it outright. I don't even know why. I mean, in France, it's obvious because um, the new music scene in France or the style is like so defined and so different, also from the German one. But and you're not German at all. I mean, you're. I don't. No, I know, but I'm. I mean, you uh, are German as uh, yes, a person, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But you know um, what I mean. Aesthetically. But I, I doubt that I would have found a composition professor like Goldman in France, who would have let me do this for eight years. You know, I've studied with him for eight years, six years to my diploma. Then I was a Meisterschüler for two years. I doubt somebody would have let me do that. For example, I remember a fellow, a student, uh, Leo Dick. He um, was taken in Lyon, but it somehow happened, and uh, apparently the prof his professor hadn't really looked at his compositions before, and in, in the first class, his teacher there told him, look, we don't do that kind of music in France. That was it for half a year. I think <laughs> then he was just hanging around there. So this happened, you know, it's... Um, that sucks. <laughs> yeah, that sucks, really. <laughs> and um, Can you imagine... Oh god, that's yeah. awful! And an exchange program, but also the fact that it's supposed it's supposed to be kind of like this open minded. Like, I need to go to France because I really don't know what it's like there. I only get things secondhand, mm -hmm. but it all kind of fits into the same narrative, more or less. You know, I mean, some people defend it, some people you know bash it. They're either defending it or bashing it for the same reason. It's just weird how a professor would be like, no. That's, yeah. and that's the and that's the yeah, end that, of it and then they that, realize that i would say hey, that there's another person that like yeah. moved away from their country maybe they're having trouble with the language you know like there's a lot mm. of like stuff to get over and all of a sudden you get there and this professor just shuts everything down yeah immediately. that's really weird i would say hey dude you're paid for teaching you know uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah 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 but uh, what i did instead because nobody like three attempts uh, of going making an exchange didn't work so what I did was I went to Barcelona on my own for eight months. And actually, I think the first piece I ever wrote that I still kind of identify with, I wrote it in that time in Barcelona. What was the name of the piece? Uh, it was called Yaista. Yeah, I know that piece. Uh, you know that? Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's still, I mean, it's really, it's like over simple. I mean, it has some complex aspects, but it's almost like, how you say, einstimmig? I mean, it's a monophonic. Maybe? Yeah, monophonic. Yeah, that's yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's almost monophonic that piece in a way, but um, I still like it, and I, I guess I did the right thing. I mean, I was. Were you studying with anybody in Barcelona? No, no. You just moved there. I Fuck just it, I'm moved going there, to Barcelona. and um, you speak Catalan now. Uh, now, well, I understand it more or less, but I yeah. don't really speak it. Okay. But uh, I speak Spanish, but that has other reasons too. Yeah, but yeah, that's yeah. another topic. Yeah. <laughs> and. Um, and that was actually not a bad thing because for the first time in my life, I had really my main thing when I got up every morning was composing. And that was really good because I was, I mean, first I had a real crisis. I didn't know what to do. And I think I remember that out of this crisis, I got, I took the courage of integrating like all this house and techno music. I was, had just recently got into 
integrating it even more and making really repetitive things. And you know, it, it, I guess it helped that I was a bit away from Berlin, away from my teacher, my professor and yeah, stuff. Exactly. Yeah. But you had to get, isn't it, wasn't it kind of a blessing in disguise? Okay, so the two places in France and Helsinki yeah. rejected you because then I you were finally, because so. <laughs> yeah. then you were finally on your own. You, you know, you didn't feel like you originally felt when you were into Guns N' Roses and Nirvana and yeah. started taking classes. You're like, well, I'm on my own now. Now I don't have to answer to anybody and I can yeah. really do what I want to do. And then it was at that point that you discovered that you were, wanted to integrate this techno yeah. Uh, music. Yeah, exactly. I think it was uh, indeed a blessing in disguise. Yeah. And it was also a time of when I was in Barcelona, you know, on my own, didn't really know people. So it was really a moment of self-confrontation somehow. Yeah, yeah. And that Especially also came in it. So, so for me, it was really an important moment when i first moved here to germany i just like my you know my german was like non-existent i had taken a mm. class i really didn't know it and i kind of didn't know anybody i knew a couple people because of friends who had lived here before and uh it's amazing that you really have to conf confront you you're just in your head the whole time because you can't mm. speak to anybody else really no. i mean you can't i mean you can but if you're really trying to learn the language and you insist on German, that means the amount of that you're actually going to be able to communicate with people is very, very limited. Yeah, exactly. So then you're in your head your and whole like time. Each, plus each night in the yeah. bed, like, or, yeah, I mean, yeah, your brain always has to go at double velocity yeah. somehow. And yeah. like for me in Barcelona, it was like in the beginning, each night in bed, you know, directly fell asleep because of having to work so much in the head yeah how long yeah. are you here for now what like five years or no f well, four well, i said five like that was a big like oh my god five but mm. no it's been four it's been a while yeah that's crazy so yeah you're just in your head the whole time and plus you're in a different culture some things work really well in this culture that don't work in the culture that i'm from some things work really badly that work better i think in the culture than i'm from and become you become self-critical of yourself and your own conditioning mm. and then that kind of pushes you into almost like this not crisis but a, a different perspective mm -hmm. and you feel like you have to make a change about mm -hmm. yourself at that point i can totally yeah. relate to what you said yeah yeah yes. this is what happened when i mm -hmm. yeah it's what happened when i first came here yeah mm -hmm. so you finally write that piece mm -hmm. and it's like the first piece that you're proud of now um i mean i remember it was really inspiring i wouldn't i'm not sure whether i would show somebody that piece now in 2012 and tell him look this is what i do because you know then i was 23 now i'm 33 but still i, I think it brought gave me a lot of inspiration for what i did afterwards and i also still knowing the context i would still show it to people okay right? can i play it on this just like maybe a clip because we're talking yeah, about it so yeah, people sure, might sure want to reference it
So what about this piece was it for you? I guess one thing that was important for me in that piece was that I dared to be simple with some things. That at some moments I found uh, like a good simplicity that I liked and that didn't seem stupid to me. It also integrated a lot of what I was just liking at the time, also from nowadays perspective in a sometimes a bit in a silly way you know it has these salsa parts which where even it starts with some kind of salsa where now i think well this is a bit silly but i it kind of was a i don't know despite maybe my fears of not being taken serious i, I somehow decided to do it like this like that and that was in itself like something important for me and in in some other pieces uh, i did afterwards i could kind of build on that it's good that you finally let go of the fear of not being taken seriously mm. and you were on your own. So there was nobody to not take you seriously anyway, Exactly, except for the people who I guess performed it. So now that you had finally reached that point and then you knew kind of what direction you wanted to go in, how were you building and improving upon it? What was, mm. what did you, did you start caring about something else more? I and think not so, caring yeah. about other things. I yeah. think so. Uh, for example, I think the next piece I wrote was probably uh, Camouflage. That was version one, not version two. Version two is mainly the ideas from version one in a better way and leaving out some unnecessary things and adding some better things. And I think one thing that I really added was to make it uh, less minimal kind of more complex i had this idea you know listening to stuff like mr bungle which was was also at the time i thought um well one thing that still annoys me sometimes about that music is that the parts that are kind of cut together are sometimes really not related at all and i wanted to 
make the material speak with each other, communicate much more. So I had more, I tried to unify the really heterogeneous elements by um, construction methods, by symmetries, by harmonic things, or at least, you know, it didn't really have so much development. And at that time, I really liked this kind of irrational way of not developing. Then I think I tried with this kind of cut-up method to develop more and put like two totally contrary even styles of music, kind of weave them together throughout the piece a bit more. So I guess I, at that time, I was really seeing myself as a composer and reading a lot. I read stuff like Adorno and all this. Yeah. So I kind of had the need of um, becoming more... Yeah, maybe more deep and more complex again with that. But even though superficially the kind of language of the music was a bit similar than in Yaista. So I had all the elements like, uh, let's say, techno, hip hop, weird circus kind of elements. You're talking about camouflage too. Camouflage right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. too. I was more aware of what I'm doing and um, trying to explore what I said in the beginning, like what happens in this moment of cut up it can appear brutal it can appear really funny you know when you suddenly switch yeah there's moments in camouflage where suddenly it becomes like some kind of swing and before it's like this really harsh uh, chromatic uh, stuff going on another possibility is kind of a, a pseudo linearity even though there's a cut because in the end any music is kind of constructed and glued together you know so what i was also trying sometimes was having a cut that people don't even notice, even though something in the construction of the piece is really totally changing. This is why I remember that Goldman also liked camouflage much more than Yasta, because, you know, it was much easier defendable against people thinking this is nonsense, because it was obviously really thoroughly constructed somehow. But could people tell that it was thoroughly constructed without you describing it to them in a seminar I tried, uh, situation. I tried yeah. to write it in a way that people could, at least, let's say, musically educated. I mean, the people we are talking about now, which are basically composers. Um, yes, I think it's pretty obvious. But I mean, like, hypothetical situation, you know, somebody sits down who is maybe not in, not within the scene, not a composer, but well versed in like they go to merits music mm -hmm. concerts and they keep up on stuff and they know who like the composers are. They sit down, they listen to a track of Mr. Bungle and then they listen to camouflage too. Mm -hmm. Do you think that that audible kind of structural integrity that you're describing is there for them? They're like, Oh, this is, you know, I can tell that this person is doing structurally something structural with the cuts that he's building these symmetries and there are different mm -hmm. types of cuts and some of them are going from serious to comical and then some of them I can't tell. And then they're kind of aware that this, there's this bigger structural thing. Do you think they'd be able to tell the difference between that and something like mm -hmm. Mr. Bungle, which is... I think they can tell a difference uh, about mine being more constructed somehow, but I'm not sure whether they can find out about uh, symmetries and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. That, but that's also not... I mean, I never wrote music thinking that it's necessary to yeah, really I'm know it but it's more like i think people will know there is something they can't really tell exactly what it is uh, but i think they can tell there 
there is a lot more constructive. Yeah, maybe the word symmetry won't pop into their head while they're listening no. to it. And like, oh, look at that. that That's a palindrome somehow. No. But uh, they're going to be like, wow, there was something there. And then they listen to the Mr. Bung- like the Mr. Bungle track and they're mm. thinking that, oh, I understand what they were doing. But it was just they had a plan and they improvised around it and then they just slapped mm. something together that works well. But maybe there's not this grander vision of structure that's holding it together yeah and it's also not needed in their music of course i mean for example if you really want why is it needed in yours uh, because coming from where i came from i needed to integrate something okay that's an internal need well i'm talking about an external need for you know also an interest what happened more like an interest what happens if i do this you know i was never the type of composer totally sure of you know this is the thing and I I was also I confess a bit anti people um putting everything they do into theories and being and wanting to create a school of their own immediately I always hated that somehow like uh, this kind of self-indulgent young composer type I was really I mean you never uh, if it wasn't it, recorded you, I could tell you some uh, <laughs> <laughs> no but um I also just quickly want to finish that uh, Mr Bungle aspect of course there's other things that Mr. Bungle expresses that my music at that time didn't express. Of course, I was aware that, you know, my aim was not to, you know, these parts in Mr. Bungle where from, like, let's say, Sinti and Roma music, suddenly it becomes death metal and all these, like, these super crazy effects. I knew I couldn't recreate them and it was not really the aim. Of course, it was was inspired by that, but it's not saying... You know, maybe I left out something that was in Mr. Bungle and added some other things. Yeah, also another thing that was important at the time, I think in 2002 or 2003, there was the Akufen album coming out uh, called My Way. You know, it's it's mainly recorded with uh, just out of the radio and cut up into these all these really tiny little pieces and it's like a house music record, basically. And I was so overwhelmed how let's say dance music can be so complex and also like let's say the work aspect i think at that time that was much more important for me than now in this music there's so much work in this music and still it has this simple appeal you know of making people dance that was also some something that inspired me a lot at the time but uh, as this was like so technical cut just little microseconds of something out of the radio that was not easily doable with instruments this is, is it, why I, didn't... I struggle. I struggle with the same thing too. Actually, I wanted to talk to you about this, but when you were when when you were saying that you were like um, Meshuggah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I've actually like the last four months, five months. I've been trans- I've been transcribing Aphex Twin. Really? Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's really hard to do. <laughs> it's really mm-hmm. hard to do. Like I've been transcribing it, and then I did a couple of experiments where I would meet with the group that I was writing the piece for, mm-hmm. and I would try out these extremely fast cuts between different sound worlds. You know. Mm-hmm based on just like the the rhythm of it and it's really hard for it not to become a mess Mm, when you're doing when you when you're doing it with acoustic instruments you know just certain properties of strings resonating after they get dampened and everything like that like it's it's very easy for things in short succession not to bleed into one another Mm -hmm. with acoustic instruments just out of curiosity and for my own maybe help in tackling this orchestration what rules do you set for yourself to like properly orchestrate something that uses a lot of cuts like that? Yeah, I was trying around a lot and I was 
I mean, my teacher Goldman, he was uh, also totally focused on technical aspects. Yeah, so he would, you mean craft. he would, yeah, yeah craft and mm -hmm. like a proper score for him would be a score where also like sometimes with minimal effort you would create just the right thing, or let's say with totally allergic against stuff that's likely not to work. I was basically looking for the easiest ways to do something, and then I tried around with the musicians. Somebody like Matthias Engler, he was like the first musician I worked with a lot. So you're about the percussionist? Yeah. Okay. Of course, percussionists can do much more things rhythmically than other people, but um, I had also several cases where it just didn't really work. But I was always so afraid of it not working that in the end it usually worked because I was so afraid and I had just tried to, even though I, even if I had a crazy thought how it would sound, like to find a rather simple way of doing it i mean now when i see like from friends who are musicians i see they need to play fernie how all that stuff can be really cool but i always get kind of aggressive when i see this as like hey well, these composers are stealing so much time of the people and i mean you need to be super famous in order to even make people want to play this you know and uh, so I, i think that i think that was true That, a while ago, I, that, maybe yeah, it's not yeah, like yeah, that but, anymore. Yeah, but. but but now it's such a well-established school that, in a certain sense, it's safer now than it was I aesthetically. Guess, yeah. Like the complexity fight has been fought and won. <laughs> like that argument is over whether or not that's a valid form of expression. Yeah. You know, I think that oftentimes it's not, but a lot of times it is yeah. called for for certain types of techniques. Mm -hmm. But it is a safe place. Nobody's going to look at a really, really complicated rhythm in a score nowadays and say, because it is so complicated, you're not a legitimate composer. Yeah, like, of course. Yeah. I also want to correct myself. I mean, this is, my, this is a very personal view. And of course, I'm not saying that music using these techniques cannot be great. That's not at all what I'm saying. But yeah, something I was always against to include in my work because somehow it was also just the reality in which i lived i didn't really have much musicians to play my things and when i had you know i didn't i wanted them to focus on what was really important for me and i often had the problem with musicians who didn't know me that that was they looked at my scores they said like, okay easy yeah let's do it then they played rehearsal and it was a catastrophe because it's a lot about playing together mm -hmm. and most of my music was always more or less kind of quantized almost in 16th notes somehow you know yeah. not not totally but you can say most of my pieces exactly as in techno music as in any rock music it would all somehow work with it's an exact art i mean a good example to put this is uh the roots this hip-hop band when they started end of the 90s to play like with a real band this is amazing drummer called quest love and he played all these minimalistic uh, beats on the drums and you know seeing him live you got aware wow this is just a mas master this guy but he played really minimal things and i was always much more attracted by something like this than by the contrary it, but it, that was just personal attraction you know so of course in the end all of my pieces were always pretty tough to play but for very different reasons and it was never a single voice of somebody but always the playing together and now imagine if i integrate it into the single voices like 52 by 37 uh, you know in some graphical notation or so if i integrated this you know nothing would work anymore <laughs> let's say also student projects and there were several composers you know a lot of times musicians had several scores one ultra complex or so or two and 
mine looked mostly like the easiest and never was but that maybe they said okay we practice this as the last thing so um i really often had to push hard like hey look look uh, like maybe to show them how it actually sounds so they can hear oh okay this is actually super tough stuff to play yeah it was mostly stuff i play the piano you know i mostly never could play my own piano parts because i wasn't really used to play together with a lot of people in this style of music so i was basically always very afraid of my pieces not working and this mostly made them somehow work what about the idea of being afraid that a piece isn't going to work saying it might work it might not work and then taking that risk and then being willing to just fail and look like an mm. idiot Totally, I think that's the way to do it. But then, but did because you ever do that? You were saying that, yeah. oh, somehow everything I did worked because I was of, so worried of, about it not working. That yeah, what I about mean, not the, playing the, it there safe? were there were exceptions, of course, where it didn't work, and uh, I always wanted to um, take risks. Of course, I think the fear should not win. Of course, but it's maybe sometimes a good element if, when you yeah. It's also just the confrontation of what you have in your head with reality. Or the the anticipation of that moment. You know, in my in my head, I had my pieces like in the perfect way, like they should sound, like uh, many composers have, but not even all of them. So the moment when it crashed with reality was often really hard. Yeah. Because my music came. It still is though. Okay, yeah, still yeah. is, and I mean, maybe uh, you and don't my music to, yeah. came from this kind of also electronic background and from this exactness of musical production yeah, because yeah. i was thinking and also by, by the time i was listening to so much produced music which is actually something really different than just played music and try to integrate this so in the beginning i was often very um, disappointed but with the time actually i got aware that exactly what that exactly this tension really fascinates me i became more flexible and also saw the richness in something happening that wasn't exactly the way I wanted it. And that's something that that's still totally there with the band, with Brandbrauer Frick, especially with our ensemble, which are 10 people, where we also encourage the other musicians to, yeah, or they come up with a way of playing it, and that's actually really uh, makes it richer. But in the beginning, I remember I was mostly just disappointed. Can you give me an example of the time where it didn't work the way you thought it was going to work, but it still worked in a way that you thought was useful and could use again? So you're going, like, for example, you're going for an electronic sound or you're going for, you're going for something, an affect that you heard in a very well-produced studio album, and then you try and somehow replicate that same effect with acoustic instruments it doesn't work, but something else happens that you go, oh, wow, that was interesting. And I'm going to use that from now on because I know that that weird thing happens when mm -hmm. I try and do this. Yeah. Can you give me an example of that? I mean, I'm right away thinking of our trombone player of our ensemble, uh, Florian Juncker, because he's a total nerd and totally obsessed with trombone sounds. And he was, yeah, for example, we showed him something, you know, from a drum machine where you just make like each sound uh, sound a little bit longer or, or or you turn turn in the reverb slowly you first you have it like duck 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 and then it goes duck, 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 duck. Yeah. and he kind of then yeah imitated the same thing with his trombone with air sounds and breath and uh, whatever other objects he comes up with and in the end of course his, what he did sounded way better than like the drum machine thing we showed him that's an example. I mean, I had similar things more early on, 
still composing normally. Also, I was, I guess, at the time when I was still composing, I guess I was more, the rhythmical side of it inspired me much more than, let's say, the electronic sounds.
Why not go into that realm outside of the percussive effects, like a really strange electronic sound? Why not try to Im- imagine an acoustic realization of that sound somehow? Mm-hmm. And maybe it would be the same effect of what you were talking about with the trombone, where, okay, it doesn't replicate exactly what the sound was in the electronic mm-hmm. recording, but the result is something that is unique in its sound envelope and the way it works and then i can use that as part of a yeah i didn't feel i really had to try this because that's there anyway somehow there are a lot of uh, most of what instruments can do uh, instruments can always do complex sounds much easier much quicker than electronics or most i mean they're always more irregular more complex and let's say many things you can do let's say with a string instrument or brass instrument that remind of a ring modulator or something like that so i think that's there anyway i never really felt like i had the need to explore this to the fullest but but of course there's a i mean it's a really interesting process i just guess i wasn't so much focused on it are are you working with um with this like imitating i'm trying um, to come up with combinations of instruments for example, I mean, this is an interview with you, but I, mean, I can cut this out. If, yeah, no, no, but, but uh, it's a, yeah, yeah. But I'm, it's I'm, a conversation. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm trying to do that. Like, for example, a saxophone doing like a. I just recently wrote a piece that had a saxophone doing like a multiphonic, but one of those very resonant major chord multiphonics mm-hmm. that they can do. Like the there's the tenor saxophone like G major multiphonic, mm-hmm. you know. And then I have basically the strings doubling it, like the notes in the multiphonic, plus add a couple of other ones. And the end result is you can't tell if it's a saxophone, you can't tell if it's a string, but it's a very unified, homogenous, consistent Mm -hmm. sound that can be turned off on and off again like a switch because the multiphonic speaks very easily. Mm -hmm. And... That can be done in a way where that can happen in a very short period of time where you're like, okay, that was a really interesting sound, but it was very, it was almost not related to the saxophone and the strings, mm. but somehow the combination yeah, of those two things happened. I think this, together is, this is really interesting. Yeah. I mean, but I always, I always. Association. Thought, like no, every not, time I no, hear. No, not really. Uh, that's true. Uh, I think, um, I mean, I was always fascinated when I heard something that I didn't know or I th- heard something I thought. What is this? Where does it come from? So what you are describing, it uh, instantly appeals to me. Uh, but I think with Brandbrauer Frick, we do this way more because we work with so many like different uh, micro uh, microphonation. We record things that are super um, low. We record them really closely, and then they are really high in the mix. Let's say even though they were in reality really just a little scratch, you know. So yeah. we record, there we work much more with this and there we have much more irrecognizable elements. But uh, yeah, I felt in my, in my composition studies, I was trying some things, but I had didn't maybe didn't have enough experience and also not enough musicians to work with to really... The fact that, for example, when you write music with a lot of pulse, automatically like details of the sound maybe become well no that's actually not true i mean there's a lot there's a lot of but i mean let's say of course if i wrote a piece totally without pulse i guess i could focus even much more on on sound i mean there's of course in electronic music because like house and techno that's all about sound and about interesting sounds at least the good one of course it's not true to say like 
more pulse means less focus on the sound that's of course bullshit but then the music needs to be really minimal and my music was in the end not minimal enough to focus so much on sound i guess there's always a little bit of a risk i feel when you don't go in that direction is that it always feels like a synthesis if you don't go in that direction where if you're listening to acoustic instruments doing what acoustic instruments do like just a very simple sound of a clarinet or a trombone and then that's superimposed on top of kind of complex music inspired by house house music house rhythms mm -hmm. then it sounds like a synthesis of those two worlds like it sounds like oh we took this and then he did this and they put them together but if you can kind of find a way to avoid the like the association of the instrument then it somehow removes it from yeah, that I'm, that I'm, idea of clear synthesis. Yeah, I know what you mean. Of course, um, you don't think that's possible to be able to. I, I do think that? I think that's totally possible because it is but, an orchestrational um, problem. That's possible, but yeah. I was now talking more about my older like pieces that are composed, and they were because like repetition brings automatically a focus on sound. That's what house and techno is about. Yeah, there of course, and with Brandbrauer Frick, it totally works like that but um you know before when i was doing more these like really schizophrenic kind of pieces where each bar would enter into a new style you know it's like sometimes in camouflage there you know the focus on sound would have been kind of maybe i would feel like maybe nobody buddy would have noticed but still the what you say um the recognizability of the instrument i'm not so sure about that i mean that depends i mean i'm I'm also actually what you say it's something that disturbs me in a lot of let's say crossover between let's say electronic and classical yeah. music and, and I that's, think those uh, are that's bad when crossovers, it, that, crossovers yeah that's when it feels like crossover and of course i never if somebody calls my music crossover i would be um really not pleased at all yeah exactly so I'm not, of, of I'm course accusing oh, you of that either. no no yeah. but uh i mean you you can of course also i mean our music has something to do with it because obviously it touches different things but we of course try to create something substantial i just don't think that i never felt like the history of the instrument needs to be denied in a way i never felt that way even though I always found it in interesting when an instrument creates something where people can't really say, hey, that's a violin. And that happens a lot in our music. I mean, we kind of, with Brandbrauerfrick, we benefit from the fact that all these typical new music effects that the orchestra instruments can do that you usually pop listeners don't even know them. Yeah. So, you know, this it's is, cool like, this is funny. Yeah. This is really practical for us. You know, we make uh, uh, Bartok pits, uh, both strings, uh, cello and violin, Bartok pits as a clap. People were like, wow, you know, mm -hmm. and you, which is cool for us because we can use all this and bring it to people who don't know it. Yeah, you get to, you get to actually use material yeah, and we, uh, on, we get, on, on people who aren't like jaded. You know yeah. what I mean? Your people <laughs> yeah. aren't like, oh, another Bartok pits. Oh, God, yeah. I've heard that a million times. Of course you would do a Bartok pits. You know, that's like yeah. a cynical way of like, yeah, that's like yeah, sure. a composer at another composer's concert listening to yeah, music. Sure. Totally. So we are, we are actually in a really lucky position. And I somehow felt that right away when we started with this project, I felt that totally, you know, and doing weird things, um, just playing the piano and putting the hand on the strings and create percussion with it. Just because in pop music, it usually doesn't happen. You know, you can. It's mind blowing for them, right? Yeah. Like the or audience, at least it's really interesting. Yeah, A lot of yeah. people ask us and it's, 
it makes people want to write about us and stuff. So, of course, in the music we do now, there's a lot of elements. Most of them are percussive, though. What you describe is really interesting with the saxophone and the strings. We haven't, for example, done this with, let's say, longer tones, which are not percussive, at least not in a conscious way. We certainly have elements where, also because we all record everything really quickly and roughly, and always on the fly, always a constantly running recording during hours. So, and often somebody already plays and the microphone is being moved to there while he plays, you know. Yeah. So, sorry, I'm gonna put this off. Hey, kann ich dich in einer Stunde zurückrufen? Cool, bis später. Tschüss. Um, I might keep that in. <laughs> yeah, cool. <laughs> Do that. Yes, so sometimes we even have that without wanting it. Uh, that effect that you can't really recognize the instrument but i'm i confess that doing it as consciously as you do um that's really interesting and didn't really come to my mind this is an impossible question for you to answer but where do you think you'll end up do you think you'll end up not doing written down music for a concert setting and you're just going to be more of uh traveling with your trio mm, i think i'll end up in much more time i'll end up writing i mean even next year i'm planning to write a new piece the score um you think I, that's where you'll eventually end up and then this mm, band I, thing i'm is not i'm not sure but the band thing it is now it's not something you can do your whole life because it really kills you you know but it's it, like it, um, it, imagine yeah, 90 gigs yeah, uh, 90 gigs yeah. a year and always on parties so um that's a life i can't do forever i mean yeah. i'm already noticing it now like each year feels like five I mean, stop me if I'm wrong in creating this image for you, but it almost seems like there's a push and pull between these two worlds. Totally. That you're, that you're on. Like totally. The, and you know what? The during the creating world, and then there's also this kind of world of, you know, European new music and the European concert going experience when it comes to not being at a club, but going to a concert hall, sitting down and listening mm -hmm. to a piece of acoustic music or an opera or whatever. I'm just wondering if any of those sides will eventually win. And then <laughs> yeah, you, I don't and think then, so. Yeah. Actually, what happened uh, in the last 15 years is that they came closer together. And with like for you personally, uh, or you mean like in no, the world? also objectively, um, and also in the world, of course. I mean, I think the academic music scene is also opening up in a way. At least it seems to me there's more and more people coming from there, also somehow entering the pop world. At, at least, I mean, slowly. Of course, it can't be that many but um i think that's happening but um for me it happened because when i for example when i was in 2000 when i started my composition studies i was also starting to produce like hip-hop beats for german rappers and that was just something totally different okay i could maybe play the piano on these beats but you know it it was two worlds and it felt a bit schizophrenic i liked it at the time but with the years i always thought okay this needs to come together somehow And Brandbrauer Frick so far is, even though it's of course uh, three people, but it's not, the closest. Yeah, yeah, it's the closest to that in which I was in, involved. And I don't think one side will win. And also, we really, with Brandbrauer Frick, we really like to include things that are kind of avant garde, that pop listeners would never, that are not really from the pop context, but include them and kind of wrap them nicely the context in which something is presented and the 
way the venue looks and whether it's seated or standard sometimes makes even much more than than actually who's sitting there because people also get infected with something when they are there. And also most people beforehand know what the atmosphere is going to be yeah. when they get there. So and almost you can you can say that it's not like the atmosphere has completely transformed them. They're probably attracted to that atmosphere because they're already a certain way. Also, and I'm yeah. talking about like yeah. going to a concert of you know, classical new music with acoustic instruments mm. or somebody going to a club and like drinking a mojito while they listen to, you know, your band play, mm. you know. Uh, we've also played at jazz festivals. We've played at a bit everything, at rock, indie rock context festivals. We've played, of course, in club, in hard techno context. And it wasn't really planned, but somehow also by our let's say the press release of the albums or the marketing or the image we have created we somehow got booked in so different contexts that often we really look at ourselves before playing a gig think like okay what's this we yeah, just are, can't believe we? it we just can't believe it oh well i think that's a good place to leave it yeah yeah okay. thanks so much yeah thank you for doing this and uh yeah i also want to know maybe uh, about your uh, your fx twin Oh, you want me? I'll send it to you. I'll send okay, you the transcriptions cool. and then I'll send you the piece based on that transcription. Cool. Okay? All right. Cool. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs>